Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Thursday, June 4th. We begin with a look at what Calgary businesses might expect to see moving forward over the coming weeks and months. We get insight from ATB Financial's Vice President and Chief Economist Todd Hirsch. Next, we head stateside for an update on the rallies still happening in many major American cities. We catch up with Global News Washington reporter Reggie Cicchini. Then we continue our coverage on the protests with a look at the history of mass public demonstrations and what makes a protest effective. We speak with a professor of history with an expertise in protest movements. It's a chance for kids to have a creative adventure in the visual, performing and technical arts. We learn about Jube summer camps this year taking place online. And finally, June is Pride Month around the world. Usually it would be a month full of gatherings and events, but in a time of COVID-19, Pride will look very different. We'll get details about the virtual look of Pride Month in Calgary. 8-12, and when we spoke with the Calgary Chamber earlier this week, we found out our next guest is going to be speaking to Calgary businesses this week about what to anticipate moving past the pandemic and into the summer months as we continue to phase in our reopening plan. We're joined now by Vice President and Chief Economist for ATB Financial, Todd Hirsch. Hi, Todd. Good morning, Sue. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. It's oh. going to be an interesting discussion, I'm sure, speaking with uh, businesses that are part of the Calgary Chamber. So how do you rally the troops right now? Is it, it Everybody's in a, in, a, in a tough space. And do you find people are, are starting to get that positive mindset moving forward? Well, I don't know if we're starting to get a positive mindset, but I think there is a recognition. We're, we're kind of moving into a different phase of the COVID-19, and that is we are now living with it. So back in March and April, you know, it was shock. It was sort of not understanding what's happening. It was a lot of fear, a lot of, in some cases, maybe panic. But now we are in an era, COVID certainly hasn't gone away, but we're in an era where we are getting on with our summer. We're learning how to live with COVID. That does not mean everything is going back to normal, but we are in that acceptance phase of it and things are moving forward. Don, I think all of us in society, and particularly those business owners, know it's going to look different. But I think the other piece of the puzzle could be, and if you could speak to this, that it's not the snap of a fingers. This is going to be gradual for all of these businesses due to restrictions uh, uh, of the uh, pandemic. That's right. And the, and the metaphor that everyone uses, you know, it's not an, an on-off switch. It's more of a dimmer switch. It might have been an off switch going off. Uh, but it's going to be a dimmer switch as the economy gradually ramps back up. And I know that is so frustrating for businesses, many of them who are, you know, barely hanging on. Maybe some of them have already closed. We all understand the frustration and we all understand uh, how painful that uncertainty is. Nonetheless, I think most of us also understand that, you know, if the reopening happens too quickly, then we're going to get into trouble with, you know, a second wave of the virus, perhaps being even more intense. So, we're just in that very gradual dimmer switch stage now as the economy painfully slowly opens up, but is starting to open nonetheless. So, Todd, as an economist, you know, what will your message be? You don't have to tell us all the fine details. Don't want to take the wind out of your sails. But what's your, <laughs> what will your message be and how do you, you know, keep everybody kind of in a positive mood moving forward? Well, I'm outlining four possible scenarios uh, as we go forward into the summer and into the second half of the year. And I've named, I'll be brief with them, I've named each one kind of after an animal. Uh, scenario number one is the koala bear. That is where it, we approach it with no fear at all, and it turns out to be completely harmless. Not very likely that scenario is going to play out. Number two is the tarantula, where we approach it with a lot of fear and a lot of caution, but it too turns out to be essentially harmless. Not likely that's going to happen either. Number three is the hippo, 
where we think it looks cute and we drop our guards and we approach it with no no caution at all. We open the economy very quickly. But, in fact, it turns out to be very, very lethal, very dangerous, sending us into a multi-year recession. I don't think that's the likeliest either, although there's a possibility of that. But I think the likeliest scenario is what I call the grizzly bear. And most listeners, you know, if you've had any experience with grizzly bears, you know that these are very dangerous animals. What you have to do is drop everything as soon as you encounter the bear. You very calmly and quietly uh, and slowly step backwards, and the bear is likely to leave you alone. I think that's what we're going to see. I think we'll get out of this alive, not the hippo uh, scenario. I think we'll get out of this alive if we take all of the precautions that we need to be doing. In other words, very gradually reopening the economy. Not to say we're going to get out of this completely unscathed. 2020 is going to be a very painful recession. A lot of people have already lost jobs. A lot of businesses are going to close. But I think if we do the precautions, we have a chance in 2021 of seeing some modest rebound. And maybe uh, taking some of the lessons and some of the new business practices we've learned during the pandemic, post-pandemic, and I'm thinking about some of those businesses that had to pivot that do offer delivery now, and maybe some of those businesses that have offered their employees a chance to work from home. We might even uh, see some of those businesses incorporate those practices. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as painful as this downturn has been and and as uh, horrible as it's been on people, uh, I I am encouraged by seeing some of the really innovative pivots that businesses have been able to demonstrate and people in their individual lives. It, It sort of speaks to the point that, you know, humans, we are actually quite resilient when we need to be. And again, that doesn't mean that everything is painless, but I think it does show that businesses have been able to, you know, a lot of them anyway have been able to find ways to, to carry on, maybe not in the optimal way, but they're able to be creative, they're able to be innovative, offer different kinds of products, different services, and individuals too, you know, more people working from home, more people uh, even just getting on with their, their daily job but maintaining the physical distancing. So it speaks to the fact that as humans we are actually very adaptable. Great analogies with the animals. We're looking for the grizzly bear. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for your time, Todd. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. You too. That's Todd Hirsch, Vice President, Chief Economist for ATB Financial. 649. Parents looking for a summer camp for their kids might want to look at Jube Camp. It's a chance for kids to have a creative adventure in the visual, performing, and technical arts. To tell us more about this great program, we're joined this morning by Karen Youngberg, Cultural Development Coordinator at the Southern Alberta Jubilee Auditorium. Hi, Karen. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Like everything else, uh, you know, Jube Camp is, is going online this summer. So we'd love for you to tell us about it. It sounds like a ton of fun for the kids. Absolutely. We have three weeks of solid adventure for kids and families, actually family-friendly classes. We have 30 Alberta artists lined up and 64 workshops. We've made it a bit of a choose-your-own-adventure so you can come online for one hour and work with Mandy Stobo, mm. or you can join us for an entire week of camps, if you like. It's completely flexible, and it's all safe learning from your home. You know, it's a kind of cliche, Karen, when uh, people say something for everyone, but you, you really <laughs> do. This is not your typical art or uh, performing art camp, is it? It really isn't. We touch everything from music production with beat drop 
to puppet making with Brendan Boyd. We have the Green Fools with us. So we're super excited to engage with our community in this new way. It's so much fun. Kids who, you know, don't necessarily like the typical sport camps, for example, this is a great way to get into the arts. And it looks like I'm on the website and it looks like it's kind of a la carte that you choose what you want and then you sign up for what interests your kids. So explain how it might work, how you would sign up for something like this. That's right. So you can go to jubeschool.com and you can see the three-week schedule there and you can poke around and see what's of interest and just add what you like to your cart. So simple. Special so easy. pricing available. Yeah, super easy. And what's the age span for the kids uh, that the uh, programming is offered? Oh, wow. We, um, we're offering classes from ages five and up. Fantastic. And, yeah, special pricing for families as well. Okay, awesome. It looks like it's, and you've got such a great, how did you decide? It's such a great lineup of, of folks that'll be teaching some of these classes. How did you decide from uh, from the great artists that we have in our community? Right. It was really difficult. These are artists that um, love working with youth and families, and they're also part of our Jupe School program. Very cool. Looking forward to uh, digging around there for my kids at jubeschool, J-U-B-E school.com. Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you. That is Karen Youngberg, Cultural Development Coordinator at the Southern Alberta Jubilee Auditorium. Jube School is a great idea, as is this for Park2Go Airport Parking with Value Valet, proudly Canadian-owned and operated. Thank you for keeping your families safe at this time. 7.09 on the morning news. Mass protests and unrest continue across the USA and around the world over the killing of George Floyd. So we brought in an expert on mass protest movements to discuss where he feels as though the current actions could lead and the magnitude of what we're seeing in a historical context. We're joined by a professor from Ryerson University, Department of History, Faculty of Arts, Dr. Ron Stagg. Good morning. Good morning. Well, studying the history of mass protest movements... Can we measure how effective they've been in, in affecting change over the past, well, you know, 50, 60 years? It, it really depends um, on how big they get and how long they last. Um, so if you have a big blow-up and then everybody goes away, it generally doesn't have too much effect. But on the other hand, if you have something, as this may turn into, uh, which continues and keeps growing then that threatens uh, the people in charge. And at that point, they feel they have to act. If you look, for instance, at the civil rights movement in the United States back in the 50s and uh, 1950s, 1960s, uh, it was only when uh, white people in the United States started seeing uh, scenes of African-Americans being uh, persecuted in the South, that they got upset. And at that point, the federal government reluctantly acted. Ron, can you look at this, uh, you know, what we're currently seeing in the United States? Are we, I think, we're, are we 10 days into protests? Has, has anything ever lasted this long? Has it, has it held and captured the attention of really the world for this long? Uh, yes, um, uh, the civil rights movement in the United States, um, the uh, anti-Vietnam War protests, which spread around the world. Uh, Hong Kong has been going on a long time, and there are a lot of people outside of uh, China who are joining in. So yes, there have been other instances 
instances. But on the other hand, there have been protests which didn't last and didn't really have much effect. Let's talk about the element that seems to come with every large protest, and that is either the rioting, which would cause violence, or the looting. How does that affect the message, and and does that you know damage uh, the key of of, of uh, setting change? It, it does, and um, you've been seeing people uh, like the brother of the man who was killed saying, "Don't do it. We have to be peaceful, or we our message will get lost." And that's the problem with these big protests, that there are some people who get so angry about the past that they decide to get violent, and then there are people who take advantage of it. There are always anarchists who, who love to disrupt the system who will get involved in the violence. And then there are people who just say, it's my turn, I'm going I'm to get something free. Uh, they've been exploiting me, I'm going to go and get myself something new out of the store, the white store. It's interesting to see mass protests like this as well leading up to a presidential election. And will that have an effect on things? Will this continue to be a wave moving up towards that date? That's that's really interesting. Uh, The polls I see are that uh, Donald Trump's uh, support is holding. Uh, But he needs more than just his uh, steadfast supporters to get elected again. It's the inter- what's going to be interesting is to see how the Republicans do, because the Republicans are standing behind Donald Trump so far, and whether this will have any effect on their election uh, prospects it remains to be seen. It's really hard to predict at this point. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we're seeing a different uh, dealing with protesters in the U.S., and I think the first time in my lifetime seeing such a military presence, uh, present rather, stand, as presence standing, uh, you know, right across from the protesters. Uh, the different approach to, you know, I guess you'd say control protests. Uh, have you ever seen anything quite like this as far as that military component that we're seeing now in this one? Oh, the military was used extensively through the, uh, usually the National Guard rather than mm-hmm. the, 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 the Army, it was used extensively uh, through the Vietnam protests. Um, not as much, but sometimes in the civil rights uh, struggle. Uh, we used it here in Canada in the Oka crisis in the uh, 1990s. How do you see, Ron, you know, the end result of, of a lot of these protests you talked about, and obviously the civil rights movement, we're still at that place. That's what's happening now here in 2020. But as you look in the past and at history and, and look at some of these movements, is there a, a sort of a, a length of time or a duration they need to last in order to make sure that change will happen? I can't, I can't say that there's any specified amount of time, but the key thing is that it has to continue for a while, and it also has to be growing. If it seems to be shrinking, then people can say, well, it's going to go away. But as long as it carries on and more and more people join in, so if we continue to have international protests, uh, if we continue to have uh, protests in American cities, uh, that's going to have an effect. Wow, incredible stuff. Let's talk about, you know, uh, significant political protests. Is there one, I guess, I guess I, I, I'd pose the question, is there a template for the perfect protest that worked and, and got the message across and uh, did affect change in your mind from your studies? Oh, there, there are a number of them. Again, if we, we stick to the United States, the civil rights movement 
and that was uh, done brilliantly. It cost a number of people their lives uh, trying to get voters registered in the South and so on, uh, but they kept at it. And they won the support of uh, white people in the North, and uh, they achieved change. And, and it was relatively peaceful, uh, thanks in large part to Martin Luther King and his uh, the people who worked with him. Uh, they said, we cannot react. They uh, based their ideas on Mahatma Gandhi and his idea that if you don't fight back, the enemy can't win. They'll ultimately lose. So if you look at uh, video of the protests in the American South, uh, the police turned dogs on them, they turned fire hoses on them, uh, they beat them, and nobody reacted. That, that, it's not a nice thing, but it was very effective. I just want to ask you quickly before we let you go, do you see the inclusion of uh, you know, Hollywood stars, for example, and athletes, both white and black, does this help to change the narrative moving forward? I would say not Hollywood stars, um, because, uh, well, particularly Republicans, they tend to dismiss them as a bunch of pinkos and really pay no attention to them. Athletes, different matter, because athletes very much affect uh, people who like sports, and they'll pay attention to that. I think more so them than the, than the Hollywood stars. Uh, maybe some uh, white people say, oh, uh, George Clooney's in there uh, protesting, so maybe I should pay attention. But I think overall, um, sports figures have more effect because they have a, a closer connection mm-hmm. to the people who watch sports. Thank you so much for your time this morning. You're most welcome. That is Dr. Ron Stagg, Professor Ryerson University, Department of History, Faculty of Arts, and has an expertise in mass protest movements. 619. Imagine living with painful lumps in the folds of your skin, under your armpits, in your groin area. Now imagine you've seen doctors, multiple doctors, over several years, and they have no idea what the problem is. It could be something called HS. And Dr. Jaggi Rao is here to explain to us what that condition is. He's a dermatologist in Edmonton. Good morning, doctor. Good morning, Sue. Thanks so much for joining us. I don't dare say what HS stands for. Can you tell us what exactly it is then? (laughs) Sure. It stands for hydratinitis suppurativa. That's what I was going to say. (laughs) No, tell us, tell us, doctor, please. What, I mean, it's something that we don't hear often about. What exactly is this condition? That's right. People don't talk about this at parties and uh, they they often hide it until it it becomes quite debilitating. But what, what HS is, is a very painful and socially and often physically de- devastating skin condition. Uh, it's characterized by boils and pus-filled cysts in the skin folds, like you mentioned, and sometimes there can be discharge and very bad odor associated with it, and it can be quite devastating for people. Okay, how, how common is this in Canada, and how do people get HS? You know, it, it's very, very common. Actually, it, it turns out that uh, about 1 million Canadians suffer from this, at any given time, so that's about 4% of Canadians. It's quite quite uh, devastating and, and quite prevalent. And usually, you know, you don't pick it up from anywhere. It's not contagious. It, it has to do with a little bit of genetics and, and also uh, you have family history. So if, you, if, you tend, if your parents tend to have it, chances are that you might have it as well. And are people confused by it when they have it so they don't go to the doctor to, to really kind of search out what it might be? Are they embarrassed by it, I suppose, probably in uh, some I, cases? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of embarrassment for sure associated with it, but also I think knowledge uh, with caregivers. So 
it's there's really shocking statistics. They say that about eight out of ten individuals have been misdiagnosed. And I think it's largely because this can look like other things, such as ingrown hair follicles, what we call folliculitis, uh, skin infections. They even sometimes call it acne inversa. It looks like acne, but it's in the skin folds. And it's often misdiagnosed just because there has been a lack of education in the past. What age group is affected by AHS? Well, it can happen in any age group, but usually we start to see it in the 20s, and the average age of diagnosis is 30 years. So June 1 through 7, it marks HS Awareness Week. So we're in the midst of it here in Canada. It's, it's obviously online, anything that you're doing right now. If, if somebody's you know, curious about this disease or, or they think they may potentially have it, where do they go for more information, doctor? I think the first thing they should do is see their family doctor. There's lots of things that you can do about it now that we were never able to do before. We understand the condition. Uh, back to your question about what it, what it is. It's actually the immune system that has somehow attacked and and uh, concentrate its effort around the hair follicles and small glands that are within the skin area, within the skin folds. So that because we know that, there's a lot of uh, ways to, to address this. We, in fact, even have specific medications. One is called Humira, which are injectables that really help to bring this down and sometimes make it go away. Well, you know, this is HS. This is the first time I've heard mm-hmm. about it. So I appreciate you shedding some light on this. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. That is Dr. Jaggi Rao an Edmonton-based dermatologist. hsfoundation.ca for more details. 6.42 on the morning news. Charges against the former officer charged with killing George Floyd upgraded to second-degree murder. And charges against three ex-police officers upgraded to aiding and abetting second-degree murder and aiding and abetting second-degree manslaughter. With details on these announcements from yesterday, we're joined by Global Washington reporter Reggie Cicchini. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. Reggie, what was the reaction uh, yesterday with these amended and new charges? Uh, the reaction was uh, was what these protesters had been looking for, and you could sense the relief uh, in crowds across the country. In Minnesota, uh, cheers broke out in the streets outside of the courthouse at the scene of where George Floyd died in Washington, D.C., uh, a crowd that had been gathered both at the Capitol building and just outside of the White House on 16th Street also broke out into cheers. Those cheers eventually subsided into a more somber tone uh, with many of the protests around the country actively taking a kneel at the same time, and the kneel that we saw uh, just outside of the White House. It lasted for almost 15 minutes. This was a moment they were waiting for, but they still say that there is more justice that needs to continue working. It sounds like, and it looked like yesterday, that things are a little more calm, even where you are this morning, than than the sounds uh, that were around you yesterday. Oh, absolutely. I mean, right now, we're not being met with that wall of unidentified police officers. Uh, You know, we're allowed back up to the access of the park, except where the the fencing has been uh, erected. We've also learned that they're actually adding new fencing on the backside of the White House as well through the ellipse just to stop crowds from being able to gather. But incredibly peaceful protests yesterday. It was several thousand strong again, but at points you could hear a pin drop. Uh, Around the country, there were some more aggression. Uh, There was some more aggression in some of the protests that were taking place. We did see police releasing tear gas in a number of big cities and there were still difficulties uh, enforcing the curfew through New York but at the end of the day these protests that have been going on for two days now do not resemble anything that we saw through the weekend. So with yesterday's announcement uh, can we expect more organized protests or would it be more of an organic nature over the next few days do you think? 
I think that these protests are going to continue. You know, there's a, a secondary protest that's going to take place tonight in D.C. outside of the uh, the typical one that happens on 16th Street. Black Lives Matters has actually uh, organized a, a die-in outside of the MLK Memorial, uh, down where all the, the national monuments and memorials are. This is set to take place around 4 o'clock D.C. time and set to last through the evening. It is worth noting that D.C.'s uh, expecting some severe weather tonight, so that could put uh, a slowdown on some of the protest gathering. Uh, but these protests, they're not showing any signs of slowing down. They say, yes, they got justice in the death of George Floyd, but there are thousands and, uh, and countless of other cases mm -hmm. that they're still trying to get justice for. And Reggie, I mean, the mayors and the state governors, they pushed back against Donald Trump this week when he said, you know, he was legalizing the use of the military. And, and yesterday, the U.S. Defense Secretary said that he was not even in favor of that move. Has there been any response to that from the president? This has been a shocking, uh, a shocking pushback from uh, what used to be the president's inner circle and what still is the president's inner circle to his kind of strong-armed approach that you would typically see in an authoritarian state. You know, when we heard from Jim Mattis yesterday, the former defense secretary, who is a four-star general who led the troops uh, into Iraq to deal with Saddam Hussein, who led the troops and all wars uh, through the Obama administration, the president fought back uh, in, a, in a critical and disrespectful way, saying that Jim Mattis didn't understand military. He only understood uh, simply public relations. And this is coming from a president who claimed bone spurs to get out of serving uh, in the U.S. military, you know, decades and decades ago. So the president is sharply critical of his military leaders and former military leaders, but it is simply just one person where everybody else is standing in line with them. And, uh, you know, on the other side, when we talk about not just Joe Biden speaking out, some strong words from uh, former President Barack Obama yesterday, and uh, they seem to have an impact on social media. Everybody seemed to like what Barack Obama has said. I'm sure that uh, President Trump wasn't too happy with the remarks. Well, absolutely. I mean, look, he, he tried to stand with Barack Obama saying, look, we both, uh, you know, stopped having Jim Mattis in our administrations. But at the end of the day, Barack Obama essentially gave an address to the nation and offered those unifying words, not only that we've heard from Joe Biden, unifying words we heard from George W. Bush and from former President Jimmy Carter. This is a collection of former leaders coming together to try and mend what is a very clearly broken country and doing the job uh, in the eyes of a lot of these protesters and a lot of Americans better uh, than the actual leader of this country is doing and you know that's something that is simply going to chip away at an already fragile ego inside the Oval Office. Thank you again so much for the update today Reggie appreciate your time. Thank you. That's Global Washington reporter Reggie Cicchini. 749 June is Pride Month around the world and usually it'd be a month full of gatherings and events and parades of course but in the time of COVID-19 Pride is looking very different so joining us with details of this year's goings-on the president of Calgary Pride is with us Sean Thistle. Hi Sean. Good morning. Happy Pride. Hey, happy Pride to you, too. Thank you so much for joining us. I mean, no no public parties or parade this year, but I know you guys at Pride have a, a big plan. Tell us what's in store for us here in Calgary. Yeah, we do. We really wanted to um, support local businesses and really push Pride out to the four corners of Calgary. And so what we did was we put together an initiative, which is actually just came online yesterday, and it's Our Pride. And it allows businesses, community associations, um, individuals who maybe want to host their own little dance party in their backyard for seven friends or, you know, do a bottle drive or a bake sale or a hike. And whatever they want to do, um, we invite them to do some brainstorming, come to the website, fill out a form to sort of put themselves on the map. And a representative from Calgary Pride will reach out to them and support them in their event. Um, we have a ton of volunteers who are coming on to 
to help out. And once uh, once you sign on, you can um, uh, log into diversity training. You can access what we're calling the Pride Toolkit, the Our Pride Toolkit this year, which includes posters and tent cards and social posts and uh, T-shirt designs and anything people want. So we really wanted to give, make sure we were giving pride back to community this year. John, why is Pride Month and the parade still so important? Yeah, um, I think it's because visibility really matters for our community, and and that that's um, and that's at any age. So you know, whether you're a teenager who's still finding your way, or you're a senior who you know might be feeling a little isolated and wants to know your you have access to your community. Um, we still know that um, young people who grow up in homes where they're not accepted for who they are are eight times more likely to um, put themselves in harm. And um, in addition to that, you know, we have aging seniors who who um, want to want to feel accepted where they are, and that industry, um, the aging in care industry is um, is making huge strides but not quite there yet and so we know that we still need to show up for community at, at any age and really at its core Sean pride is you know a celebration of resiliency community love and yeah. it's the 30th anniversary this year it's just a shame we won't be able to have the big parade like we normally do but is it almost you know does it ever get more important or or this year you know particularly with what's going on in the world I think that with everything going on in the world, particularly right now, and, and when we think about um, especially racialized members of our community, the most marginalized members of our community, um, that absolutely it matters now more than ever. We are all in this together, and uh, it's really important for us to show up and to listen and to celebrate um, because there is no revolution without dancing, as they say. Mm. You don't want to see me dance, but I'll, <laughs> if I'm invited. You're always <laughs> invited, backyard, Andy. You're always invited. the backyard party, you're going to see some moves you might regret. Uh, Everyone thank, can dance, Andy. <laughs> exactly. In my heart. Thank you uh, so much for your time this morning, Sean. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. That is Sean Thistle, president of Pride Calgary, and all the info you need at calgarypride.ca.